63 degrees outside our KTDR studio. It's time for our Phelps Health Program. Paige Heidman is with us today. And Paige, good to see you again. Good to see you, Lee. It's it's good to be here on this nice rainy day. It is a wonderful <laughs> it's, day. It's it? nice and warm in here, though. Yes, and you have a guest with you, too. I do, yes. So today on our Ask the Professionals program, I have family nurse practitioner Pat French. So welcome back to our show. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. So, Pat, one of the ways that we love to kick off our show is just getting to know a little bit about you and who you are. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, um, maybe your background and why you chose to work at Phelps Health. Well, I've been with um, Phelps Health back in, uh, oh gosh. <laughs> I'm going to make you think here. <laughs> several years ago. I worked in IT for several years, for about six to seven years. Um, I, I Stopped working here, ended up with a different degree, went on to move, to uh, work for the state of Missouri for about 10 years. And during that time, became a nurse. Then I did about 10 years of ER nursing and decided I needed a change on the nursing aspect of it. And then went to um, nur- back to school to get my master's in, as a nurse practitioner. So it's been fun. <laughs> I love the way you described it. It's been fun. It's fun. <laughs> so why did you choose to work at Phelps Health? What brought you here and what's kept you here? Well, when I worked in IT, I worked there for seven years, and I always liked working there to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit of a different part of a career mm-hmm. choice, I guess you could say. But I always had this feeling that I needed to do something different, and one of the things was to be able to maybe help people like I was seeing every day you know, in the mm-hmm. hospital while I was working in the IT department. So that kind of pushed me towards going to the nursing aspect of it. Very cool. Awesome. So today we're talking about something kind of unique um, that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with, pain management. So let's just kick it off with talking about what is pain management? What does that mean? So basically we will evaluate, diagnose, and treat various types of pain. It could be anything from, you know, knee pain, you know, low back pain, neck pain, you know, neuropathy, um, there's a lot of different things that we treat. Um, sometimes fibromyalgia. Um, there's just a lot of different aspects that play into that. And one of the things that you treat too is pain in the spine, correct? correct. correct. What is the value of treating pain in the spine and why should somebody seek out care for that? Well, when you don't seek out care for specific types of pain, especially if your pain has lasted for a considerable amount of time and you're not getting any relief. Um, Sometimes uh, providers will forward them or refer them to us. And we will just kind of do an overview. We start with, you know, talking to the patient at an initial consult and we just kind of go over, you know, their health, their history and physical. um, And then we just evaluate, diagnose and sort of treat what is going on at that time. It could be, it could be neck pain, it could be back pain, but you know, if you've had it for an extensive period of time, this can actually put, play a huge factor in your life as well you know you it can cause depression um, financial aspect of it kind of plays into factor there Um, but it's just basically to help them with their overall quality of life and to see if we can help them get back on their feet maybe get back to work Um, maybe they've been out of work for a couple months because of their back and they they have not been able to go back full-time we'll try to help them get to that point um, to get them you know back into their normal Mm -hmm. daily life and kind of move on. You mentioned something that I thought was really cool. Um, Whenever we have pain in our back, is it always pain in our back or is it sometimes something above or below our back? Well, it depends. So it it kind of depends on what the patient tells us while we're in consult and we kind of base it off of what we're talking about that day. Um, It could be the low back pain, could be leg pain, could be hip pain, knee, ankles, whatever that may be. 
maybe if we do, you know, sometimes we can do imaging and it may not show much of anything. So then you're trying to figure out, okay, so where's the source of this pain coming from? And so you have to really listen to the patient as to what they tell you and determine what kind of testing that you might need to, you know, pursue. Yeah, and that could cool. be just your basic blood work and different types of tests that we that we obtain to see what other sources of pain and where it's coming from. Yeah, so it's not one size fits all, right? Correct. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you may say you're coming in for low back pain, but it may be something totally mm -hmm. different than, it could be something else that's causing that low back pain, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, for me, I think that's so important to not WebMD yourself, and I say that as somebody <laughs> who does that consistently, and I'm trying to train myself out of that. Yes. It's so much more valuable to go in with a list of things that have been going on and say, hey, let's have a conversation and begin that process mm -hmm. from there. Try not to do too much Dr. Google. Yes, exactly. I I love that. Um, so what can happen if we don't seek out therapy or other alternatives for pain? What What are the repercussions of that? Well, the repercussions of that, it could be, uh, it affects every part of your life. If you have pain that doesn't go away, it will affect everything. It affects you financially. It will affect you psychologically, physically. And so getting it treated and taken care of, whether that's starting with your primary care, you know, we would probably expect you to go there first. And if it continues, then come see us and mm -hmm. maybe we can figure something else out for you, but it affects everything for the patient. And what are the different types of therapies that you all utilize in pain management when it comes to the spinal cord, so the back that we're talking mm -hmm. about? So we have um, several different types of therapies that we're going to discuss, which one is spinal cord stimulation. One is called a dorsal root ganglion stimulator, which is for specific types of the body, um, intrathecal pumps, and kyphoplasties. Very cool. Yeah, whenever I was doing some research on this topic, I was like, how do you even say these words? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about this today. Okay. So let's just start with the easiest one that I know how to say. What is the spinal cord simulator and how does that work? So a spinal cord simulator is a small device that we thread a like a small wire up and through between like the spinal cord and um, the vertebrae, basically up, up toward the epidural space and trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here. Um, we'll start normally for the low back. You, we kind of go in around that L2 area and then we th dock threads it up to approximately your mid thoracic, like T8 to 10 in the thoracic spine. And that's what simulates the low back pain. So we have that. We also have a dorsal root ganglion stimulation, which basically what that is when a patient has, say they had post hip surgery. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting any relief from that. Say it's maybe 50% better, but they still want, you know, it's just not 100% for them. And we're never probably going to get 100%, but it could be specifically for the hip. Mm -hmm. It could be for the knees or the feet. So that's more of what a dorsal root ganglion simulator is. It's specific types of the body. The spinal cord simulator, the regular spinal cord simulator is for cervical pain and mostly low lumbar pain. How is spinal cord simulation used along with other types of treatment? So... Normally, what we try to do first is we will probably try to do some injections. If those injections fail, then we also have this option of spinal cord stimulation. If you do not qualify for a spinal cord stimulator, meaning that sometimes if you have too much stenosis, say in the cervical spine or the lumbar spine, they may not be able to thread those leads into that space in the spine. Okay, so therefore, a next option would be an intrathecal pump. And an intrathecal pump is basically, it's a a pump that they use medication that's put into the spinal fluid to stimulate the pain. Basically, it sends those signals to the brain saying, hey, I'm in pain, and this is this is what we use. And they can use anything from fentanyl, hydromorphone, um, 
uh, they sometimes put either like a lidocaine in there or it just depends on what that provider you know what you're allergic to what you're not allergic to what they decide that would go in it so there's different types of therapies and if you can't do spinal cord stimulation or you can't do an intrathecal pump then we have pain medication we can also discuss that um go ahead so who should get a spinal cord stimulation or maybe a better question is who qualifies so it, it just depends on the patient themselves um like i said it's just you know if we can't thread anybody would qualify for one if you failed injections say none of those injections helped you you know then this is what we would be looking at whether it's a stimulator and if you don't want a stimulator then you know as i said we could try pain medication um, a lot of patients don't want to be on pain medication and so this is an option for them um, same thing is sort of the same thing with the spinal the dorsal root ganglion stimulation if you have hip near or foot pain um, they don't really want to be on pain medication, oral pain medication, so this is an option for them. But it just depends on their insurance sometimes. You know, insurance kind of, kind of plays a factor in that, and we haven't really had too many issues with that. Um, but it's that, and if they can even have one, meaning with the, too much stenosis in the spine to the point where we just cannot mm -hmm. thread those leads appropriately. So what are the different types of spinal cord stimulators? So let's say that somebody is a good fit for this um, and you're able to move forward with whatever this process looks like to um, begin the spinal cord stimulation. Mm -hmm. What is that process? So we have three companies. We have Medtronic, we have Nevro, and we also have St. Jude. Um, we have chargeable devices, which is you charge them at least 30 minutes every single day. Mm -hmm. um, that is mostly our Nevro system. And then we have St. Jude, um, who also gives a non-chargeable device. And then they also offer the dorsal root ganglion simulator, and then we have Medtronic as well. Um, so with that, um, do people, whenever they recharge them, um, is that something that they have to do themselves? Do you walk yes. them through that process? So the biggest, the, the whole process starts out, we, we do a seven day trial, mm -hmm. okay? So all of that, there you'll end up with like a little puncture wound on each side of the spine where the where the leads have been thread up through the um, through the spine, mm -hmm. and that it's left on for seven days. After day seven, we'll take out those leads in the office, okay. And at that point, we discuss how much benefit you receive from this. If it's fifty percent or more, then that's actually a really good result from a stimulator trial. And if the patient chooses, then we can go on to the implant and the implant. Sometimes we can get it done within like about a month or two. Um, we kind of monitor them for the first 12 weeks because during that 12 weeks, we don't want you to bend, twist, you know, uh, reach over your head, lift heavy things because we don't want, we want uh, scar tissue to build up around those leads so those leads don't fall. So within that first 12 weeks, we just kind of want you to take it easy. We still want you to do some of the things that you normally do, but just don't overdo it so that, you know, you pull those leads. So it's kind of a lengthy process sometimes, mm -hmm. but it does get done. Patients get a really great result with it. It comes with a remote control. So you're able to turn it up. They have different programs on it. You can turn up the intensity, you can turn it down. If they have a hard time doing it, we bring them in the office and meet with the rep because the rep is gonna be their best friend after we put this in. So they have the phone numbers and all the contact information, how to get a hold of these companies in order to kind of uh, figure out what's wrong with it. How do we fix it? How do we change different things on it? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it can be a lengthy process, but um, they work great. Yeah, it sounds like it's definitely a time commitment to go through this process. It is. 
So next up is um, dorsal root ganglion stimulation therapy, and I'm really impressed I could say all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how DRG therapy works. So dorsal root ganglion stimulation is basically, um, it stimulates what we call the dorsal root ganglia. These are structures along the spinal cord made up of a densely populated sensory nerves, and they act like traffic lights regulating signals and sensations that basically travel through the nerve fibers um, along the spinal column to the brain. So basically what we're doing is, is we're aiming towards that specific dorsal root ganglia to stimulate your pain, whether that's in your hips. Um, we've also done, I think it was hip, we've done knees, we have done, um, I've done, we've done feet. And as a matter of fact, um, one of the new options that we have now through Nevro, one of the companies that we use a lot, um, is stimulating uh, this is not necessarily for the DRG stimulation, but it's actually for your regular stimulation, and that's um, diabetic peripheral neuropathy, which is huge. And we have a lot of diabetics in this area, mm -hmm. and they have a lot of um, issues with nerve pain. So this is a, a big a big deal that we just started this year. They got approval for it. For yeah, that. let's talk about that. What's the value of that for those types of patients? Well, nerve pain is very intense for patients. It hurts. It's painful. There's... A couple different medications that we use. I mean, we use Neurontin, we use Lyrica. Um, sometimes, you know, you can treat some of their nerve pain may maybe with Cymbalta or um, Civella, things like that. But it's it's just a really hard um, thing to treat. And we just received information this year, and they're trying to kind of push that um, through primary care. Um, so that we can get these patients treated appropriately, especially if medication, you know, doesn't mm -hmm. work for them. We even have other uh, Grelease, and I think there's another medication that we use for nerves as well. But sometimes it just isn't very effective. I mean, mm -hmm. or they've been on the medication a long time, and the medication just isn't working anymore. So this is a great thing for them to come over and just discuss this with us, you know, if that's, if that's their biggest source of, source of pain. Now, we might do other testing, but mm -hmm. overall... I think that is um, a great thing that we're being able to offer them because I, I do have a couple patients who have qualified for it. For patients that have this type of nerve um, pain issues, do they go through their primary care to get referred to pain management or what does that process look like? Yeah. Can they just call you? No, they have to get a referral through their primary care. Great to know. Yeah, so if any of our listeners today, um, the way that you go through that process is hook up with your primary care provider, whoever that is, and then have them refer to pain management to begin that process. I, I think that's fantastic. That's Correct. a great opportunity for patients in our area. So next up is um, an intrathecal drug pump. What What is that? Okay. Let's define that. So an intrathecal pump, we use that for, um, say, say you can't have a spinal cord stimulator mm -hmm. because there's too much stenosis. So the next thing would be to get you set up for that. Now, the only problem is, is that with the intrathecal pump, we don't put them in here at Phelps anymore. So we would end up having to refer you out. And we have a provider in St. Louis uh, called Dr. He's, his name is Dr. Buer. He works at Christian Hospital. And we would refer you to him for an initial consult. Um, if He will do his history, physical, you know, look at everything. And he will decide if you are a good candidate for even doing the two-day trial. If you are, then eventually they'll go ahead and, and start you for the pump itself. And it's a small implantable device that, like I said, the little catheter is thread up um, into a specific area in the spine. And the medication that comes out of that is actually um, in, goes into the spinal fluid. And that's what stimulates your pain. And like I said, it could be any kind of medication, fentanyl, morphine, whatever that may be. And the doc will determine um, 
what he thinks is the most appropriate medication to help stimulate the pain. And it's mainly for cervical and lumbar pain. And what are the benefits of getting um, a drug pump versus these other options? Well, either one of them is a benefit. Mm -hmm. Now, some patients don't like implantable devices, but because it is an implantable device, we want to make sure that psychologically you are prepared for something like this in the future. So you would have to go through a um, uh, consult with a psychiatrist to make sure that we can actually even do that initially. Um, if if you can't have a stimulator because of the stenosis, then that intrathecal pump is is your next best option. Or if they don't want that, like I said, your, your oral pain medication is another option as well. Um, it just depends. Now, um, there's also patients that may not be able to have one, um, say, say they're on a blood thinner and we can't stop their blood thinner. If, if we can't stop the blood thinner, then we don't have an option to be able to do that. And then at mm -hmm. that point it might be just giving them oral pain medication, mm -hmm. you know? So there's different factors as well that kind of play into that. Um, because you know, the risk of them being off their blood thinner would probably not be ideal. Yeah, it's, it's so, risk, uh, risk benefit analysis correct. type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. So you had mentioned a couple of times stenosis. Let's define what that is. So stenosis is where, you know, whenever you have degenerative disc in the spine, um, not everybody has stenosis, but over time, sometimes that can occur and it causes compression in the spinal canal. So there's not enough room to, for everything like it, like it used to be probably when you were in your 20s, mm -hmm. you really didn't have any back pain or there were no issues going on. But as, you know, who knows where you ended up with an injury in your back or maybe not an injury at all, you know. Um, smoking plays a big factor in a lot of things that we see. So, you know, causes an overall inflammation in the body and that also affects the spine. So there's different things that play factor into degenerative disc. And so that stenosis part of it can cause a lot of issues um, for the patient. I mean, leg pain. And it can be pretty intense leg pain at mm -hmm. times, just sharp, uh, burning, stinging. So it it's pretty huge. And, and if you can't, you know, like the spinal cord stimulation, if there is way too much stenosis, meaning there's just not enough room in that spinal cord or that spinal column to thread those leads, we, we have to check a different option mm -hmm. out. Yeah, so. it's amazing to me talking to tons of different doctors from lots of different service lines, whether it's um, cardiology, orthopedics, pain management. Mm -hmm. Smoking seems to be a common theme. Huge. Yeah, Huge. so <laughs> for and, anybody listening. And I do, we, we talk about this every mm -hmm. day with patients, and I know that they don't want to hear it. Yes. You know, but, you know, this does play a big factor in their overall well-being as well. Mm -hmm. It affects every single aspect of the body, and especially the spine, mm -hmm. you know. And if you quit smoking... You don't, you know, there's no long, you know, whatever's done at that point, you know, whatever damage there is, that's it. You know, it, it will get better. I mean, your COPD, if you have COPD, you're mm -hmm. diagnosed with that because you're a smoker. I mean, the damage, the damage won't be any further. Let's just say that. But mm -hmm. whatever is already there, that's what you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life. So mm -hmm. if you end up with like really bad COPD on oxygen and you're still smoking, it's not an ideal situation for mm -hmm. any patient. But yeah, it's a huge factor, the, the smoking issue. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up. But that's yeah. also something that I didn't realize that yeah. that would affect um, pain, pain management options. 
a lot. <laughs> so we've got one more um, to discuss today, and I'm probably going to butcher this one. Kyphoplasty? Correct. There we go. All right. So what is that? Let's define it. So it's also called a vertebroplasty. Um, basically, it is an option for patients. Say, you know, say they were outside and they bent over and heard a pop in their back, just this intense pain. This is sometimes how they come in and say that, I think this is what happened. I think this is when mm -hmm. it happened. Um, depending, basically, it's a crack in the bone. Um, and so we can fix it by inserting a small, um, it's, it's basically a, a device into the, the vertebrae itself. Um, then we blow up like a little, there's like a little balloon that's on the end of this needle and we blow that up and then there's cement that we inject from that mm -hmm. needle, um, which helps basically fix the crack in the bone so that it doesn't get any worse. Um, it also can help a little bit of the height of that bone because once once you crack a vertebrae, you know, you lose some of your vertebral height. So that can cause some significant pain. Um, if, if you don't get it taken care of, um, as I said, some of the height is already lost from that crack in the vertebrae. So therefore that could cause also just your pain will stay there. It'll become chronic. Mm -hmm. um, it can also cause other fractures in the spine above and below it. Um, it, it can cause a lot of different things. What are some of the benefits and risks of kyphoplasty? So the risk of a kyphoplasty, um, one is to reduce your pain, of course, um, help with your mobility. Um, if you don't get it fixed, a lot of patients, there are a lot of patients that will go through this and they don't want to get it fixed. And they're if they have depression, their depression can get worse. Um, because they can't get up and move around, mm -hmm. not like they used to say that they were up and they were ambulating with a walker. Well, and then they end up with a fracture and they decide not to get it taken care of. That will actually, it could actually reduce their mobility even more. And, you know, they don't want to do that. They want mm -hmm. to be up and take care of themselves and be able to feed themselves and, mm -hmm. and everything. So it can really affect everything. Um, so risk wise for the vertebral plasty, um, it is, there's always a risk for infection. Anytime we do a surgical procedure, there's always a risk for infection, mm -hmm. so we have to talk about that. There's a risk for blood clots. Um, sometimes they can have what's called um, bone cement leakage from when he does the procedure. It's very rare, but it could happen. Um, there's always an issue sometimes with anesthesia, but we also do an anesthesia consult prior to um, any of our vertebral plasties, you know, to make sure that anesthesiology knows about the patient mm -hmm. you know, before they do that. And there's also a rare risk of paralysis at times if, if we choose to um, fix this vertebrae. Um, it can come from, a fracture can come from trauma, you know, whether that's bending over to pick something up, it could come from osteoporosis, and sometimes um, it could come from cancer. So sometimes cancer can affect that bone um, and it can become very brittle and cause a, a break. Once somebody does any of these treatment options, do you guys schedule follow-ups with them? Yes. So after a kyphoplasty or a trial from a spinal cord stimulator, whether that's just your regular stimulator or a ganglion root stimulator, um, we always have them come in about a week to 10 days mm -hmm. after the procedure because we want to know how they are. Because mm -hmm. sometimes even after a kyphoplasty, they're still, they're going to be sore. They're going to be achy. You know, I mean, we just went in and put a, a little metal device into your vertebrae to fix a crack in your bone. And that can be pretty intense. 
So um, after that, um, if they have more pain after the procedure, especially with the kyphoplasty, we might want to do some x-rays to make sure that there's not maybe another fracture that we may have overlooked. And if there is, we would have to do further testing like an MRI or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or we can offer an injection um, sometimes to kind of calm things down, maybe a steroid injection, say they have some you know, leg pain. We can offer maybe a lumbar epidural steroid injection to kind of help resolve that leg pain. I love that. Lots of different options there for is. people to come and see yes. you. But um, before they come and see you, again, it's really important for them to have a primary care provider and then get that referral, correct, correct. for all of your patients? Correct. Awesome. And then one more quick question before mm -hmm. we wrap up. How can someone make an appointment with you? What's that phone number? Well, it is 573-458-3331 <laughs> or 3332, or you can call an alternate number, which is the 573 364 2200. Awesome. Yeah, we've got lots of phone numbers. We, we have lots of different ways for patients <laughs> to reach us. And if they use the alter the other phone number of 3331 or the 3332 number, make sure that they leave a message because our um, kiddos up front will take messages and pass those on to us through uh, Epic. Awesome. Great, Pat. Okay. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate everything thank that you've you shared with us. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org.